<clears throat> well, our lesson this morning is titled Opposition to Jesus. And uh, the, really the, the lesson began beginning of the week. Actually, Sunday night, I was on social media and I saw a post. Uh, and I thought about it Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And I'll say at the time, I was, I was pretty agitated about what I saw take place and have seen take place. And it took me really a few days to get my mind in the proper mindset of what was going on. And I'm talking about opposition to Jesus. And let me start off by saying, as we begin to look at this topic, and I, I, I know from the things I have seen on social media, other people were agitated and, and are agitated by the things they're seeing take place around us. <clears throat> it is very clear, I think, to the majority of us who are Christians that today there is a multifaceted opposition to what we would call Christian values. As a matter of fact, we can look around us in virtually all aspects of our life and we see it taking place. And it's happening here in the United States of America, it's happening in Europe, it's happening in Australia, it's happening in Canada, and it's happening in many other countries worldwide where we have Christians, where we have congregations of the Lord's people. Politically, socially, and even within the church itself, there are those who are opposed to the teachings of the New Testament. Just last night as I was looking on social media, and I'm not going to say the gentleman's name because I don't want anybody to go look at his material, but he used to be a very prominent minister within the churches of Christ, and I was shocked at the stuff I was seeing him post. And so even those within the churches of Christ now in many of the foundational teachings of the New Testament are pushing against what was once considered to be foundational accepted truth. Just recently, this was on Sunday night, and this is really what started me to think about it. A minister that uh, some of you may be familiar with, I'm not going to mention his name either, but he, he is in Canada. Uh, he was actually removed from social media. And he was removed from social media for violating community standards. Now you may say, what, what are community standards? Well, I guess that would be anything that the, the, the social justice warriors, whatever you want to call them, believe, which contradicts something else. And it could be anything. But I will tell you this, one of those things, and the most primary thing that I've seen, is plain Bible teaching. People holding to Christian values. That's what I've seen that the majority of people are pushing against. And I guess to say it in short and to make it simple, there is a plain out attack on what we would call Christian values. And I thought about this a lot throughout the week, and I was, as I said, I was very agitated by it. Um, and, and guys, it's so bad. It is so bad that we have discussed here, and we've started downloading all of our material from the social, one of the social media sites we have, so that when we get deleted, we can upload all that to our website, which will take months. But we're, we're expecting that to eventually happen. There are certain things that people do not want you to talk about. And if you do, in today's environment, people will take that right away from you. Now, it used to be here in the United States that the Christians and the non-Christians could disagree and we could live peacefully. We could coexist in this world, but not now. Now what we find is, is many want to silence the Christian. And we're going to go back and notice, guys, what we're seeing take place isn't new. 
this stuff was taking place in the first century. And so why I said initially I was so agitated at, at the beginning of the week, I had to get my mind back in the right process, the right mindset, and say, this has always happened. We just had it really good for a while. And now it's going back to what we used to see take place. They want to silence the Christian. They want to remove the Christian from their ability really to impact and to change the world. Many using even intimidation tactics or label calling to try to silence the Christian or scare them into hiding. And there are certain topics which used to be universally accepted where if you talk about those things now, you're prejudiced, you're biased, you're hateful, maybe even called a judgmental bigot. And many today are simply opposed to the teachings of Christ. And because of that, they look at us like we're enemies. And yet I go back and I think about what Paul said. Listen to Galatians 4.16. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? I think Paul's statement there is really much more profound than many think, especially when you begin to look at today's society. Paul was not trying to, trying to make enemies. But the issue at hand was, is you had many that viewed him in that manner because the things that he said or the things that he believed didn't agree with their teachings. Guys, is that not what we're finding today? That is exactly what we're finding today. Many look at you as an enemy because they simply disagree with what you say. Now, before I go on, let me say this to anybody who's watching this. I work with people who believe a number of things, live a different number of lifestyles, and as Christians... We would never try to force someone to become a Christian and give up those things that they believe. We understand that to be a Christian, you have to be in alignment with the Scriptures, right? We wouldn't force it down your throat. And, and let me say, is that what we all want here? We just want to worship our God in the way that we want to worship. We really want to be left alone and not, not have opposition from you. And we simply want to do what we want to do. And that's what they want. We simply want to coexist. But guys, from the beginning of time... This has always been a problem. And so we see it taking place today, but we got to get our minds back in the right mindset. From the very beginning of time, just as the world is against us, it has always been against the follower of God. Let's start off going over to John 15. I want you to see that even Jesus, and, and John mentioned it, even Jesus, who was our pure sacrifice, even, even He was hated. Notice John 15, 18 through 20. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my sayings, they will keep yours also. He was trying to prepare his disciples for what was going to come. Those disciples were going to face opposition day after day after day. He was trying to get them prepared to not give up. Now again, this isn't anything new. We could go back and we realize that they hated Noah. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. We know that the Jews even hated and killed their own prophets. Let's go on over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And notice what Paul says here. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. I'm going to read down to verse 15. He says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, 
which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For, you, for ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, notice this, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men. Paul knew that the Thessalonians were facing opposition. And today, again, I was so angry this week as I thought about the opposition to Christian values. And, and guys, again, I, I simply want to be a, a follower of God, and I want to believe what I want to believe, and I want to find people around me that believe the same thing. And I realize that there are some that are opposed to that. We can coexist. We're not going to ask people to do something that they don't want to do, but we want to find like-minded people to become Christians. But in that process, you know what's going to happen? There's going to be opposition. There is going to be opposition. And Paul, again, was trying to let the Thessalonians know exactly what Jesus had already told the disciples. You need to be prepared for that. There is going to be hatred. Just as they hated Jesus, they're going to hate us. Let's talk about their desire to harm Jesus. It wasn't just enough to hate Jesus. You go back and you begin to look at the Scriptures, you would think that hatred enough would be alone, right? That'd be enough alone by itself, but no. <clears throat> they had to take that hatred to a whole nother level. They wanted to harm Him. Guys, do we see that kind of stuff taking place with Christians? Opposition's not enough. Sometimes it even comes to the physical desire to harm. Let's, start, let's go over to Matthew chapter 2. We'll start from the very beginning. We'll look at Jesus while He was an infant. Guys, Herod... Herod wanted to kill Jesus as an infant. Matthew 2, verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem. Let me pause for a minute. Can you, can you just imagine the mindset of somebody who was so depraved that they would go kill infants? Can, can you even grasp your mind around that? And in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Now, why would he do this? Well, he knew that there was a Messiah to be born. He knew there was a king coming. The problem was is he didn't understand what type of a king he was going to be. Jesus was going to be a king over a spiritual kingdom, not a physical kingdom. He didn't come here to reign as an earthly king, but Herod didn't get that. But he knew there was a king coming, and guess what? This infant, this infant was going to be inconvenient. So what do you do to inconvenient infants? You kill them. You kill them. Can you imagine somebody desiring to kill an infant, whether it was in the womb or out of the womb, just because it was inconvenient? Well, wait a minute. We have, we have that happening, don't we? We have that type of mentality today. And if you stand up and talk about those things on social media, such as I'm doing right now, oftentimes the response is, is to squelch that today to remove that from social media. They don't want people to hear the Bible scriptures being read and us relating it to today. They don't want that out there. The Jews wanted to kill him because of his teachings, because of his beliefs. And again, guys, a Christian may disagree with somebody, but let me point something out. Our desire has never been for violence. It has never been for hate. It simply is, as we don't agree with that, and if you want to do that, you can do that. But we don't agree with that, and we want to find other people who are like-minded with us, who believe in the Scriptures, and who want to be faithful. We can coexist. 
What we simply don't want is your beliefs that contradict ours to be shoved down our throat, right? But guess what, guys? It's going to happen. There's always been opposition. And as we're noticing here, oftentimes the opposition is not opposition alone. It oftentimes takes on the form of physical violence. That's not what the Christian wants. But it's oftentimes what those who oppose Christianity do want. Let's go on over to John 8, 58 and 59. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, for anybody who doesn't understand what's going on here, Jesus is actually referencing back, this isn't in your notes, Exodus 3, verses 13 and 14. When Moses said, when they ask who sent me, what do I say? And he said, tell them I am that I am. So Jesus here is literally telling them he is God in the flesh. And they understood what he was saying. And notice the response of this. Then they took up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so, bat, so passed by. They disagreed with what he said. And opposition wasn't enough. They wanted to do physical harm to him. It started when he was an infant, and it continued on even throughout his ministry. Listen to John 10, verses 30 and 32. He said, And I and my Father are one. Again, he is saying the same thing. Jesus was part of the Godhead, and he wanted the Jews to understand that. He had all authority, and they understood what he was saying. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? Right? Jesus had only done good. We don't read any instant anywhere in our inspired scriptures of Jesus doing anything that was not good. And hear their response, it's not just opposition. It is the desire to physically harm or persecute and really even to kill him. This continued on throughout his ministry as we look at the opposition taking place. We know that the chief priests and the Pharisees, they wanted to kill Jesus. Let's go on over to John chapter 11. And let me tell anybody who's watching this or who's here right now, I would mark this chapter in your Bible. John chapter 11 is the turning point in Jesus' entire ministry. And most of you will know that as we go through here. This is the point at which the, the Jews were beside themselves. There's only one option after this. Follow along, John 11, verse 43. Most of us know this account, but do not realize the importance of it. John 11, verse 43. And when he, had thus, when, and when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus! Come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Let me pause for just a second. This man's been dead for three days. Three days. It's not like they put him in there and they thought he was dead, but he wasn't really dead, right? They literally said, Don't, ro don't roll the stone back, he stinketh. He's dead, he's been dead, and his body is decaying. And Jesus walks up there and calls him out by name, and he comes out. Look at verse 45. And imagine if you were in the crowd. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. Let me pause. 
Of course he could. He was the Messiah. Your long-awaited Messiah who just raised a man from the dead in front of all of you and everybody saw it. Verse 48, If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him and the Romans shall come and take away both our places and nation. Jesus just proved he is the long-awaited Messiah. Right? The Pharisees, they weren't worried about the truth getting out. What were they worried about? They are literally worried about losing their positions of authority, and they actually say, and their, and their nation. But they're worried about their positions of, of authority, their positions of prominence. They're worried about their following. And Jesus just raised a man from the grave. Everybody saw the miracle take place. People were believing, and they said, if we don't do something about this, everybody's going to believe on him. So what was, their, what was their idea? What did they need to do? Go down and look at verse 53. We learn in verse 53, from this point forward, from that day forth, it says, they got to kill him. they got to kill him. And the reason is, is they needed to silence him. You can't allow this man to continue to go and to do the things that he's doing because people are believing in him. They realize that he's the Messiah. And so... What we need to do is, is we need to silence him. Let me pause for a minute. Are people trying to silence the Christian message today? They are. They're trying to remove us from every platform that we have. And it's not just every social media platform. They literally want to remove it from the pulpit. There are certain places where you can't say certain things without being charged with a hate crime. Even if you're simply reading from the Scriptures, they got to silence him. Guys, this is a power play against everything that is of Christ, and it's been going on for a very long time, and it's continuing today. And that's why I said initially I was so angry at the beginning of the week. How is it that they have the right to come in here and to tell me what I'm allowed to say and what I'm allowed to believe when they can say and believe whatever they want, and nobody does anything about that? And then I had to get my mind wrapped around the biblical aspect of it and say, there's always been opposition to the follower of God. Even, him, Christ, even Christ himself had to, had to deal with this. Let's go on over to Matthew 27. <clears throat> you want to find out how bad the hatred was for Jesus? He literally was delivered over to Pilate out of envy. Listen to Matthew 27, 21. And as, as you think about this, let's go back to the crowd, right? What are they saying in the crowd? Crucify him, crucify him, right? Give us Barabbas, crucify him. Matthew 27, 21, The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? Right? We've got Christ, the Messiah over here, sinless and pure, but you disagree with him. And we've got Barabbas, a known murderer. That's your two options. Who do you want me to set free? That's what he's saying. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with... Or they said Barabbas. Pilate said unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. They hated our Lord and Savior so much. And remember, this is a man who was sinless and pure. Hebrews 4.15 They hated him so much, they would rather kill a sinless man and release a murderer. Now, here's the question I have to ask myself. Can you imagine a person condoning evil just so that they could harm that which is good? Listen to Isaiah 5.20. Think about the world that we live in today. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, 
that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Guys, today there is an all-out attack on biblical marriage. There is an all-out attack on sexual purity before marriage. There is an all-out attack on biblical gender roles, on the sanctity of life. And I'm talking about both our young and our elderly. Many will call evil that which is actually good. And here's the thing. Again, I work with people and, and even like these people who disagree with what I believe. We can coexist in the world. We can. We're not going to ask them to do what they don't want to do. You can't force people to be Christians. But I want to go out and to seek those people who don't want to be like that anymore. And I say that from an individual aspect of, and I've said this before, and I've never really gone into the details, but I was a horrible person before I was a Christian. Horrible. I was just like the people that I work with on a daily basis. But I'm not like that anymore. And I'm going to show you an example of somebody else who's not too. And many of you fall into the same category. We can, we can coexist in this world. We can believe what we want, and you can believe what you want, but we want to find like-minded people. But again, in the process of us doing that, which we're required to, there's going to be opposition. They were opposed to Jesus for a number of reasons. I want you to notice this. They hated him even when he did good things. Let's go on over to Matthew chapter 12. Look at verses 9 through 14. Now, many of you will remember this account. This is when Jesus actually is going to heal a man on the Sabbath. <clears throat> Let me point this out. The Sabbath is Saturday. You always hear people talking about worshiping on the Sabbath. We do not worship on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is Saturday, the seventh day. We worship on the Lord's Day, Sunday, right? We do not worship on the Sabbath, but the Jews did, okay? They worshiped on Saturday. So when you hear people saying, hey, it's time to go worship on the Sabbath, that's the Jews under the Old Testament, right? We do not do that today. Let's notice, though, that he did heal somebody on the Sabbath, and, and you've got people that were opposed to even that. Jesus doing something good. Matthew 12, 9 through 14. And when he was departed thence, <clears throat> excuse me, he went into their synagogue. Notice this, it's Saturday. They're in the synagogue, they're worshiping. And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. Let me pause for a second. Can you imagine living back at that time and trying to do the types of physical labor they had to do and having a hand that was bad. you imagine how bad this guy's life probably was? And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the, on, on the Sabbath days that they might accuse him? That's the reason they're even asking the question, right? They're not trying to learn anything. Just wanna, they just want to accuse him. And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold of it and lift it out? Let me pause again. If you haven't read much of your Old Testament... You'll know that the Jew, although they were not allowed to work on the Sabbath, they were allowed to do necessary work, right? It wasn't like they couldn't, they weren't allowed to do unnecessary work. Like they shouldn't be out in their yard picking up sticks to make their yard look good. We can, I'm going back to some of the, New Te or the Old Testament ex examples. But there was certain work they were allowed to do. And that's what Jesus is pointing out to them. You guys are a bunch of hypocrites, right? This is a necessary work that I can do. It's permitted on the Sabbath. He said, and if a... And, and if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? And wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Then saith he to the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole, like as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and held counsel against him how they might destroy him. For what? 
because he did something good? He not only did a good thing, his miracles actually proved that he was from God. John 3, 2, same, same thing Nicodemus came to in that conversation, right? No man could be of God and, unless he was doing the types of miracles that you're doing. So we see that you're from God. And yet, for all of this, he was hated, even when he did good things. Have you guys ever noticed that Christians will oftentimes try to, to show love and they will try to do good things for those who are lost in sin? And many in the world will mistake our love for hate. Sometimes that love is simply the words that we give, where we work with people who, or we know people who, or we have family members who do certain things, and we say, you know, the Bible teaches that. We're not trying to be hateful, we're trying to be loving. Now, we can't force, again, anybody to do anything, but that's the, that's the motivation behind it. Again, Christians don't want violence, and we realize that we can't force anybody to become Christians, but we want to find those people that want to be Christians. There's going to be opposition, even when we try to do good, just like Jesus. Let's notice that His words testified of Him. <clears throat> they hated Him. They hated Him from the very time He was an infant. They hated Him throughout His ministry. You could look at the things that he, he was doing, the good works that he was doing, and you could even listen to his words, which testified of him. Let's go on over to Matthew chapter 7. And I want you to remember the crowd's reaction after the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, 28 and 29. And I bring this up because remember, there are those in the crowd who hated Jesus. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Well, he did have authority, right? They should have desired to hear his doctrine. But what happened to many of those people in the crowd? We're going to touch on this later. Some did want to hear that doctrine. Some did not. Some were opposed to it. And because of that, they hated him, even taking that opposition sometimes to violence. He used the scriptures to go out and to try to teach the unlearned. And again, truly His words were words of love, and yet you've got those who opposed our Lord and Savior. Many today look at that doctrine that we just mentioned, and they look at it and they say it's a doctrine of hate, but it is a doctrine of love. The intent is to save man's soul. And just as there were those in the crowds that didn't want to hear it then and were opposed to it, there are those today who are opposed to it. But I want to go back and point this out, that the whole purpose behind Jesus' teachings was to try to teach those that were in error, those that were lost. Notice on Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 23, that we'll see this. The same day came to him the Sadducees, which say that there is no res resurrection, and asked him. Let me pause for those that don't remember. So there were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Those were the two primary groups. There were actually others. The Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection. The Pharisees did. The easy way to remember that for you guys is, is the Sadducees did not remember the resurrection and therefore they were sad, you see. That's the easy way to remember it, okay? I know that's kind of corny, but that's how you can remember it. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They had no hope, but the Pharisees did, okay? And those were the two primary groups. So the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, and they asked him, saying, Master, Moses said if a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were with us seven brethren, and the first, when he had married a wife, deceased, and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third, unto the seventh. And last of all, the woman, woman died also. 
Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said unto them, let me pause. This is the people around us, right? The people in the world. Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. Do you guys ever realize that there's an equality between us and the angels? Everybody looks at the angels as being superior, right? It's not what he shows us here. He says, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, he's going back to the Scriptures, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. All right, now again, the Pharisees, they believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. And they questioned him about his views. And here's the thing. It wasn't because they were trying to get knowledge. What they were actually trying to do is, is they were trying to divide half the audience. They knew that there was half of them there Pharisees, half of them Sadducees. Well, let's just ask him a question. And no matter what his answer is, half the people are going to be angry at him because they don't believe that. And I point this out because Jesus makes it very clear here. He says, ye do err not knowing the Scriptures, right? Jesus' intent was never to offend. He quoted the Scriptures and He corrected their misunderstanding just as we would correct the misunderstanding of a child who believes that 2 plus 2 is 5. It's not to be mean. It's not to be arrogant. What we are doing is simply providing words of truth. And yet, when Jesus did that, Many of them hated him. They were opposed to his doctrine. Guys, do we have that today when we try to help people by giving them the doctrine of Christ? We do. We do. It wasn't just his words that testified of him. We could look at the works that testified of him. And I could have covered so many verses here, but I don't need to. I'm just going to cover one. Let's go on over to John 9.32. Here we have the healing of the blind man. John 9, 32. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? Jesus is literally out healing people. He healed multiple people, and we have the accounts of it. He was the Messiah. He was teaching literally the intent of God and doing the works of God, and many of the Jews hated Him for it. He was literally giving the inspired word, and He was showing it through the miraculous. And many of them hated Him for the works and His message. And yet today, as followers of God, we have a message to deliver. It's the very same message that we have by inspiration in our Scriptures. Many, of, many people out in the world, they hate us or they oppose us because we are bearers and imitators of this inspired message. I had a conversation this week with a person, and we were discussing uh, them and their fiancé and how they were from different religious backgrounds. And the person had mentioned that their fiancé wasn't quite sure if Christ was a good man or if He was the Messiah. And I point this out to say both His works and His words confirm that He was the Messiah. The evidence is there. And guys, just as we have a message to go out and to deliver, even though people oppose it, the message is trustworthy. 
And this is one of the things I mentioned to that person. I said, you realize people were willing to die. They were willing to be persecuted for this message that they were out teaching. We know that the apostles literally went out and they reported all that they had seen. Going over to Acts chapter 4, and I'm not going to read it, but if you go over to verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 18, what you're going to find is, is literally they are, they are brought in before the council and they are told to shut up. Quit talking about Christ and the doctrine of Christ. Let me pause for a minute. How many of you guys have seen that type of feedback or opposition on social media or even on the news? Right? Quit talking about Jesus and quit talking about the doctrine of Christ. That's what we find in verse 18. Notice starting in Acts 4 verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen, eyewitness account, and heard. These guys were eyewitnesses. He was the Messiah. We literally saw what he did and we heard the things that he was saying. Right? And as Christians today, and we have this inspired message, we are to go out and we are to shine the light of this gospel. And just as they faced opposition, we're going to face opposition. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4, verses 6 through 7. And I, I have to say this before I actually read the passage. This passage is misused so much. Let's get it back into the context. You guys realize that the Bible, when you read a passage, it's not always talking to you. When Jesus was telling the apostles to do things, like, for example, go ye and tarry in Jerusalem, I did, I've never been told, I don't, I'm not going to Jerusalem to wait on something, right? There are passages in the Scriptures that do not apply to us. We need to understand that, because I hear people all the time applying this to themselves. It's just bad Bible. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts. This is Paul writing. He's an apostle. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let me pause for a minute. Who was literally going out and giving this light of the knowledge of the glory of God? The only ones that had inspiration or were giving the light of the knowledge of the glory of God were the apostles. Notice he goes on in verse 7. Paul says, But we, we apostles, have this treasure in earthen vessels. What's he saying? I'm an earthen vessel, Paul says, but I have this treasure... This ability to speak by inspiration, to give the knowledge of the glory of God. He goes on that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. It's not us as the apostles. We are speaking by inspiration. We saw it and we heard it and we are giving you the message and it is trustworthy. And guys, they faced opposition for giving that message. But here's the thing. It's the same message we give. It's trustworthy. Eyewitness accounts, and you don't think for a second people are going to be opposed to what it is that we say, to the lifestyles that we promote? Let's talk about the reactions from the world for just a second. We've already shown where they persecuted Jesus, and Jesus tried to prepare them and said, they're going to persecute you. If they have persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. It's going over to Acts 5, verse 40. I'm going to tell you what, these guys, I don't know what else to say. These guys really had some oomph in them. Imagine if you were one of the apostles. Acts 5, 40 and 42. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, 
They commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Let me pause. Have we already seen that? <clears throat> right? Shut up. Quit talking about him. You guys are not permitted to talk about him. And they said, is it, is it better for us to listen to you or God? <clears throat> Let's keep going. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. They knew the message was, was trustworthy. They knew it was reliable. They had literally seen it. They had heard it, and that's what they were going out and teaching. And what was the reaction from the world? They faced opposition. Let's go on over to Acts chapter 7 and talk about Saul for a minute. You guys realize that there, there are a lot of people today in our world that think it's okay to persecute Christians. They don't have any problem with it. Matter of fact, if you find anything being removed from social media websites, it's not going to be people of the world. You can post any of that horrible stuff all you want, and nobody will say a word about it. The stuff they're removing is plain Bible teaching. And the people today are not any different than the people back then. Matter of fact, let's look at Saul. Saul literally stood there while they killed Stephen, and he gave his approval. Acts 7, verse 54, when they heard these things, this is, I don't have time, I wish I could. Stephen just preached his heart out. Preached his heart out. I hope maybe one day I'll, I'll, I'll have a sermon as good as what we have here. Sermon preaches his heart out. Uh, Stephen preaches his heart out in the sermon. And it says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed on him with their teeth. You guys ever seen someone do this when they get mad? Grinding their teeth, they're so angry. He just told those Jews he was the Messiah, and you killed him. And they're so angry, they're gnashing on their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. You know, when we see Jesus, we normally have him pictured, right? Sitting. Not here. He's standing. Don't tell me there's not some righteous anger going on right now. Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And then they cried out with a loud voice. Check this out. And they stopped their ears and ran upon Him with one accord. You guys know what they're doing? You remember doing this as a kid? La, 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 I can't hear you. I can't hear you. That's, what, that's what's being described here. They stopped their ears. They didn't want to listen to what it was that He was saying. And it says that they ran upon him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. Let me keep going here. Saul was the up-and-comer of the day of the Pharisees. Paul was the doctorate of doctorates of the day, taught at the feet of Gamaliel. <clears throat> they see him there in the crowd, and he's standing there watching as Stephen has preached this sermon. And they're going to they're gonna stone him to death for it. And Saul is standing there giving his approval, and they lay their coats down. It's hard to throw rocks with your coat on, right? They lay him down at his feet. Verse 59, And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God. This is the heart of a Christian right here. Calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. They opposed what it was he was saying. But it wasn't enough to just oppose his beliefs. 
They had to take it to a whole nother level. They were violent. They were hate-filled. But here's what I get from this. Here we have Paul, who was the up-and-comer of his time, the doctorate of doctorates, taught at the feet of Gamaliel. Here he is approving this. And here's what I find as I read this. Paul shows me there is hope for all mankind. Paul was a man who was lost. He was one who thought that the things that he was doing were okay, and yet we find out the one who was once the persecutor, the one who once persecuted Christians becomes the persecuted. The words of Christ changed him. The one who was once opposed to Christianity is now seeking after Christianity. He's actually a worker on God's behalf. And guys, how many of you know someone like that? Someone like me, someone like you, who before was a person who lived like the world and thought like the world and condoned the things of the world, but now they realize there's something better. And so they're out promoting what they believe is better. And because of that, there's opposition. And Paul, who was once the one who opposed, is now the one being opposed. He gives me hope for really all mankind. There's no one sin any different or worse than any other. Sin is sin. And these followers of Christ began to be persecuted and suffered. Let's go on over to Acts 12 and look at James. James dies by the sword. Acts 12, verse 1, Now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church, and he killed James the brother of John with the sword. If we go back and look at both history and tradition and use the Bible, it appears from what we know that every apostle died for their faith except for John. It appears that John was the only one that lived to a ripe old age. And I ask you again, if the teaching wasn't true, and if Jesus was not the Messiah, would anyone die for a lie? But they were willing to face opposition. And the more that they killed the Christians, the stronger the church grew. And as angry as I was throughout this week at the fact that Christians and our beliefs and what we know is true is being opposed, that was the light bulb that went off in my head. In the first century, as they were opposed and they were being killed, the church began to flourish. And I wonder within myself, is, is now another great awakening going to occur? I'm starting to see signs of it. I believe there are more people who are starting. I'm not saying that the church in itself has is, is been growing massively, but there are people who are starting to turn back, I believe, somewhat to what we would call Christian principles. Opposition actually works in our behalf. The church, I believe, will start to grow because of opposition. So let's talk about the church today. There are a lot of people that are going to hear sermons like this, and they're going to be drawn to it. But there are going to be a lot of people who hear sermons like this, and they're not. They're going to oppose it. Notice 2 Timothy 4, verses 2 through 4. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. He says you're going to have two different kinds of people. 
And the two different kinds of people here are represented in two different phrases. He says, preach it in season. That's when they want to hear it. But he says, also preach it out of season when they don't want to hear it. And what we get from our understanding as we begin to look at this is, is for many people, the words of Christ, the doctrine of Christ, pure Bible teaching, that is going to repel many people. They are not going to want to hear it. They're going to be opposed. But for many, it is going to attract them. They are going to be drawn to it. Listen to 2 Corinthians 2, verses 14 through 16. I'm almost done, guys. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us, causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the Savior of His knowledge by us in every place. Notice this. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ. Let me pause. If you don't know what he's talking about here, he's literally giving back the illusion under the Old Testament when they would, when they would sacrifice the animals, you would have that sweet savor coming off. How many of you guys like steak? Yeah, imagine, imagine during the sacrifice the smell of that meat, right? He says, For we, Christians, are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one, we are the savor of death unto death. Let me pause. There are certain people that are going to hear our message, and we are literally the savior, savor of death unto death. We are repulsive. We are offensive. We're literally like that dead, decaying rot. And so they oppose everything that it is that we say because they are opposed to us and to the doctrine we teach. They do not want to hear it. Literally, we are the smell of death unto death. He says... He says, in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? There are some who will hear what we say and literally we, we reek. We're so offensive to them. But then there's others. To them we are the, the smell, the savor of life unto life. They realize that there's only one way to be saved. Our words, the doctrine of Christ, are appealing to them. But in opposition to this, there will always be those that will love the world more than they will love the word of truth. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 10 through 12. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Let me pause. They don't, they don't want to hear the doctrine of Christ. They don't want to hear what the Bible says that we ought to be doing and not doing, because they don't want to be saved. He goes on, and for this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Right? Uh, it's, it's not that bad. You can live that lifestyle and go to heaven. You can go to this church and believe that and go to heaven. It's not that bad. Guys, it's a delusion oftentimes. It is a lie. Verse 12, that they might be damned who believeth not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You know, as Christians, we are to be the light of the world. We're to shine the life of Christ before others. And guys, I was watching a YouTube video this week. <laughs> have never ever heard this guy ever say anything related to Christianity. He was working on an old beat up charger. And it, I mean, it had been wrecked. It was beat up. And he stopped in the middle of it and he said, you know, before I was a follower of God, I was kind of like this old car. And I paused for a minute and he said, I mean, just look at it. All the scars, how bad that it looks, the things that the world, this life has done to this car. He said, but when I became a follower of God, 
I still have the scars, but I'm new. And then he began to go on and talk about how he was going to make this car new again. And although I'm sure I disagreed with him, he didn't go any further than that. But it really made me begin to think, isn't that what we're doing when we go out and we try to teach the message to those around us? We're trying to take those who've been beat up by the world, who are scarred by the world, who are living like the world, but we want to make them new. We want to make them followers of Christ. And guys, in the process, there is going to be opposition. Some are searching for that light. But there are always going to be those who will oppose the teachings of Christ. And for that, many are going to continue to be persecuted simply because the world is opposed to the teachings of Christ. And as I started this week, I was so angry And then I began to think to myself, maybe we are making a difference. Why would they care if we weren't? As Christians, I believe that we are making a difference. It may not be as fast as we want. It never is as fast as I want. We may not be reaching out to as many as we want, but I talk to people every day about Christ in some way. And you just never know when a person is going to want to know how to be saved. So that's how I'm going to end the sermon. For anybody watching this or anybody here, it's not complicated. All of the conversion accounts are the same. Somebody was teaching the gospel. That's how faith comes, Romans 10, 17. They had faith, Hebrews 11:6, and they believed that He was the Messiah. If you don't, you're going to die in your sins. They had an understanding of what sin was, and they knew that they were going to face death because of it, Romans 3:23 and Romans 6, 23. And so they need to repent of their sins, Luke 13, 3 and 5. You also need to confess Christ, Romans 10, 9 and 10. It actually says, unto salvation. And then you need to be baptized. What I mean is, is immersed in water for the remission of sins. That's what we find in every conversion account. And so when someone asks you how to be saved, you ought to be able to do that. There's a lot more verses we could give. And I would encourage you, if you don't know how to do it by memory, Write them down in your Bible. Go to the first passage and right above it, write the next passage you need to go to. You should be able to do it, right? Because some people are going to want to know how to be saved. And every conversion account culminates in the act of immersion in water for the remission of sins. Mark 16, 15, and 16, Acts 2, 38. And it does save. 1 Peter 3, verse 21. And then you've got to be faithful. And guys, during that process, here's the hard part. There's going to be opposition. Just be faithful through the opposition, no matter what. Just like we see from our examples in the first century. If you're here and you're not a Christian, please don't leave. Let somebody sit and study with you. Uh, If you're watching this online and you don't live around us, we'll study with you online or we'll find you a, a faithful congregation in your area to study with you. If you're here and you are a Christian, look back at yourself throughout the week. Are there areas you're struggling with? Are there areas you've fallen short? Simply repent of them, turn from them, and you can again be righteous in God's sight. 1 John 1, verses 7 through 9. That's our desire, that we would all be faithful Christians. If there's a way we can help you in any way spiritually, you can come forward as we stand and we're led in a song of invitation.